Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless all of you. So good to see all of you here this morning. Praise God. We have a lot to look forward to because Jesus is here and He is willing and able to minister to every one of our needs. Praise God. Even those needs we may not even realize we have, He'll minister to them as well. Thank God for that. Amen. Let's all stand. We have a lot to be thankful for today. We're drawing breath. We can fog a mirror with the best of them. Amen. Praise God. He's given us another day in which to serve Him. In which to demonstrate our faithfulness to Him. As He has so graciously demonstrated His faithfulness to us. Praise God. Let's call out His name this morning. Let's ask Him to bless this service in our midst today. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a mighty, wondrous, glorious Savior. I am so thankful for You, for Your so great salvation. I am thankful, Lord, for a daily relationship with You. Daily, You establish, reestablish Your covenant with us. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful, Lord Jesus, that You have called us into a covenant relationship with You, that You have demonstrated day by day Your so great faithfulness to us. Hallelujah, Jesus. It is our desire this morning to enter into Your presence, to strive if necessary to enter in, to hear Your voice, to feel Your touch, to spend time at Your feet and listen to You. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. What an awesome opportunity You've given us this morning. Thank You, Jesus, that we can hear the voice of God, that we can hear the words of the Lord. Help us, Lord, as we receive Your Word to be doers and not hearers only. Help us, Lord Jesus, to accomplish Your heart's desire in this place today. We give You free reign. I give You free reign in my heart and in my mind and in my life. Walk to and fro, Lord Jesus. Search. I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would minister to my every need today. That You would help me, Lord, as I enter into Your presence to give You glory and honor, worship and praise, thanksgiving unto the Most High God for the great things that You have done in my life for the great things that You have done in this earth, and because of who You are, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Let Your name be glorified in our midst today, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you. You can be seated. Amen. Before we get started, I do want to give a uh, a quick, uh, maybe a promo we are uh, kind of revamping the, the Sunday school a little bit. We're kind of transforming it more into a youth event. Uh, and the reason for that is because we have youth here every service. And uh, rather than listen to my boring old man stuff, you can get maybe something a little bit more relevant, a little bit more specific to your situation. Amen. And so... Uh, every Sunday morning, uh, you guys are going to be meeting downstairs, uh, coffee and donuts, good grief, <clears throat> but whatever, I suppose. <laughs> it's going to be a little bit more informal, a little bit more relaxed, but it's going to be good. Uh, this isn't going to be Sunday school, as maybe you imagine it, rather than talking about Daniel in the lion's den or Jonah in the whale. Uh, you're going to be talking about issues that directly impact your lives, uh, things that you're going to be facing. And I want to encourage you, ask tough questions. 
Be real. You hear something you don't think is quite right? Call the teacher on it. Be respectful. Be respectful. But be direct. Ask the questions that you have. Don't just stifle it. Get your questions answered. They're going to demonstrate to you that the Bible has real answers to real situations. It's not some theologian sitting up on an ivory tower just coming up with these weird doctrines. It's relevant to you today. It really is. And they're going to demonstrate to you that the Bible has real answers and that this God that we serve is worthy of your consideration. Amen. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to hearing great things. You're welcome. (laughs) Amen. By way of review, last week we talked about Joshua. Last month we were talking about faith. And uh, this month we're going to switch gears. Uh, We're going to talk about a different topic. But last last week we uh, read about Joshua. This was toward the end of Joshua's life, toward the end of the book of Joshua. And he kind of gathered everyone together and gave him a big speech. He rehearsed in the ears of Israel those great things that God had done from the time of Abraham all the way up to that present moment. He starts with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, relating again the great things that God had done, the things that He had promised them. Uh, He recounted the Exodus and their time in the wilderness, the faithfulness of God during that period of time. And he told of God's faithfulness in the promised land. That God was faithful and powerful. More powerful than all the gods of Canaan. And he was able to deliver them into the hands of his people. Fulfilling the promise that he gave to Abraham many hundreds of years prior. Then Joshua kind of turns around and tells them to stop vacillating. Make a choice. Choose who you're going to serve this day. Choose between these other gods and the one true God. Stop backsliding in your heart every time things get a little tough or a little uncomfortable for you. And that's good advice for us today. Praise God. Things start getting a little weird in our lives and Immediately, we start questioning God, questioning His faithfulness. Why? Why? Why this? Why now? Why me? Why not them? <clears throat> Why? Why should we continue to serve God? Because He has consistently demonstrated His love and His mercy and His faithfulness to us. No matter what. And so, Joshua is asking, God is asking us today, those that have not yet made a choice, to make one. I love options as much as the next guy. When you make a choice, when you finally commit to something, you don't get to choose anything else then. That's the bad part about commitment. If I choose to marry this girl here, well, then I can't marry anyone else. I've committed. I've made a choice. But before I make the commitment, 
I got options. Not as many as I might think, probably. <laughs> but uh, once you make the commitment, those options are off the table. But we need to commit. We can't vacillate. We can't stay on the fence. We've got to make a choice. Holy and completely dedicating ourselves to the Lord our God. And we've got to make this choice for ourselves. We can't take a poll of the congregation to see who's going to do what. We can't start asking, well, I'll choose God if, if these guys do. It doesn't work that way. Those guys aren't going to be standing with you at the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to be all by your lonesome. You've got to choose for yourself to serve God or no. And then Joshua makes the declaration that no matter who else chooses God in this congregation, he's going to choose God. It's reiterated in this lesson that no matter what God has done for us in the past, we've got to continually recommit ourselves to God. In the good times and in the bad. And sometimes the good times are a tougher test for us than the bad. See, when things get really bad, things get really clear, too. There's not a lot of uh, secondary, tertiary stuff floating around there. Things become very clear when everything's taken away. You get thrown in prison for your faith. You get everything taken away. There's not a lot of options to choose from at this point. I choose Jesus because Jesus can take care of me in the midst of that situation. But when I've got a ton of options, like here in the United States, it's sometimes a little bit harder for me to get focused and stay focused on those things that are really important. Because there's a lot of bright, shiny baubles out there. That, ooh, look at that. Ooh, that's cool. And before I know it, I'm, I'm walking off in hoo-hoo land and... God's like, where are you going? We've got to stay focused. And prosperity is sometimes a tougher test for us than suffering. Staying vigilant against apathy and unthankfulness in the midst of prosperity will serve to keep us focused on those things that are truly important. Amen. The weekly devotionals continue to be awesome to me. Day one. God renews His covenant with Israel in the same exact place He originally established it with Abraham, in Shechem. Joshua reminds them of the account of Terah that except by, for God's grace, they would have ended up just like the other pagan countries around them. The only reason Israel was victorious and that the nations of Canaan were conquered was the grace of God, the mercy of God. That was it. I like the Greek uh, tourist saying, we celebrate ruins. I thought that was pretty poignant. Because that's exactly what I was, folks. My life was a shambles. It was in ruins. God saw what could be. And He continues to build on that. Day by day. Praise God. Day two, God demonstrates His complete superiority over the gods of the Canaanites. And He did so using many different methods. Many different ways, multiple different strategies. 
He even used a hornet to drive out his enemies. Demonstrating that God can use the smallest, most despised creatures to accomplish His will. I do hate me a hornet, folks. I have no love for hornets. They, I'm sure they serve a purpose in God's creation. God bless them for that, but you take care of your purpose over there and leave me to mine. And never the twain shall meet. That would be just fine. But God can use anything or anyone to accomplish His will. He can achieve victory over our situations even without our great strength. Even without our mighty wisdom and our vast resources. He doesn't need any of them. He may use them, but He doesn't need them. He has His own. Sometimes He's pleased to just set us aside, let us stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Day 3, Israel had seen the power, love, and mercy of God from the time of the Exodus until now. They had seen God operate in times of want and in times of plenty. It's not like they... They just met this God. They had a long-lasting, ongoing relationship with this God. Sometimes it was a far off. Sometimes it was kind of bumpy. But it's not like God wasn't there with them, demonstrating His faithfulness to them. They had seen God's deliverance in the maybe kind of almost possible situations and also in the completely impossible situations. They had experienced God's favor in times of obedience, and God's wrath in times of faithlessness and disobedience. But through it all, God still wanted them to choose for themselves. God still made Himself available. He said, I still want you to choose Me. You know who I am. You know what I stand for. You have My law. You've seen me accomplish all of these things. And he could have forced them. But he didn't. And he won't. He makes a very persuasive case, in my humble opinion, but he's never going to force himself on anybody. And once made, we've got to commit to living out that choice every day. That's not a one-time thing. Day 4, Joshua's words were poignant reminders to Israel that this was not a choice to be made lightly. This is the most important choice you're ever going to make, whether or not to serve Jesus Christ. The single most important choice you'll ever have to make. They would not, they could not live for God under their own power. And if they entered into a covenant with God and broke it later, They would suffer God's displeasure for that. This lesson shows us that surrender, when truly done, is complete. It's total. You're holding nothing back to the one that you're surrendering to. Nothing is held back. Ananias and Sapphira lied about their surrender and paid the price for it. They weren't required to give everything. Nobody asked them to do that. But they wanted to look good. They wanted to look spiritual. So they just told them we gave everything. They paid the price for it. Have we declared a complete surrender to Jesus, but held something back from Him? I hope not. 
if we are, I have to ask the question, is it worth keeping from God? Is it so precious to us that we have to hold that in reserve? Day five, the people stood against themselves as witnesses and declared with their mouths that they would choose the Lord. And again, choice for one is also a rejection of every other choice. When we choose Jesus, we also reject every other God, every other lifestyle. And we choose Him. Cannot serve God and mammon. Amen. Our lesson this morning. This month we'll be teaching on putting others first. And our scripture text is Mark 10 and verse 45. Mark 10 verse 45 says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. Amen. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was known for his passionate commitment to loving and serving people, particularly the poorest residents of the poorest sections of London. Many inspiring quotes about evangelism and Christian service have been attributed to Booth, but one of the most insightful quotes attributed to him is also the shortest. In 1910, the leaders of the Salvation Army invited the aged Booth to address their annual convention, scheduled to convene during the Christmas season. Booth's health had deteriorated so much that he was not able to attend. He died less than two years later. Since he could not be present, the meeting's organizers asked him to send a telegram to be read to those in attendance. Sending messages via telegram was a costly method of communication. So Booth's remarks would have to be brief. Telegraph operators charged by the word. And the ministry's funds were limited. William Booth would have to find some way to inspire his fellow workers using as few words as possible. According to the story, Booth pondered what he could say that would communicate the feelings he had inspired that had inspired him to devote his life to ministering to those in need. He wanted to say something to motivate Salvation Army personnel who had been selflessly giving their time and energy during the coldest and darkest months of the year to serve their poorest and most vulnerable neighbors. When the day of the convention arrived, the meeting hall filled with delegates eager to hear from their founder. When it was announced that Booth was not able to be present, the disappointment was palpable. But spirits lifted when someone opened the telegram from Booth, and the moderator prepared to read the founder's brief remarks. On the telegram, Booth shared a single word, a word that succinctly summarized his life's work and the vision he had for the organization he founded. The message simply read, Others. Others. And before we get into the lesson proper, I do want to say something uh, to preface this, maybe to set the foundation for it. There is in some people's minds, at least, at least the Christian church at large seems to have this reputation. I doubt it's always true. I believe it's sometimes true. That people in church are very comfortable with the congregation that they're in. We have kind of an average social strata in this congregation. I don't think anyone's incredibly wealthy here. I don't think anyone's particularly poor and and begging. But if we got someone coming in, say, 
reeking of cigarette smoke. Not dressed very nice. There are some people that in their heart of hearts they would look down on that person. Now the reverse can also be true. Someone comes in driving a Jaguar or a Ferrari dressed in a I don't know what an expensive suit is. Armani? Is that an expensive suit? <clears throat> Whatever. $5,000 suit. $5,000 shoes. Got a gold watch on. Very successful businessman. The tendency there would to be intimidated by that individual. Looking down on someone of lesser social status, being intimidated or impressed by someone of higher social status. Uh, We know one person wouldn't. (laughs) Both are wrong. Both are wrong. And both indicate something about ourselves, if that's the case. I pray it's not. We're going to discover in our lesson that Jesus doesn't look down on anyone. And we need to realize that in the presence of Jesus... I don't care how successful or how unsuccessful you feel like you are. You stand exactly the same height in the presence of Jesus Christ as everyone else does. There is no good reason for us to look down on someone or to look up and be impressed by someone. We cannot respect persons is what the Bible teaches. But sometimes it's very difficult for us not to. And there's a reason for that. There could be a couple reasons for that. But in any case, if you're tempted to feel like that, rebuke it. Because that's not from God. It's not. And if someone comes up here and upsets our little family, praise God. They want to be part of the family too. God wants them to be part of the family as well. Everyone, everyone belongs in God's kingdom. Rich and poor. Clean and smelly. Respectable and unrespectable. Drunk and sober. Gay and straight. Black and white. The loser, the outcast, the lonely, the hurting, the destitute, the unaccepted. Everybody is welcome in Christ's kingdom. Praise God. And such were some of us, folks. And we would continue to be there, but by the grace of God. Revelation 22.17 says, And the bride, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. There are no qualifications. There are no preconditions except that I come broken in a place of repentance before the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to get clean. I don't have to get good. I can't. That's why I'm coming to Jesus. 
is so that He can clean me. So that He can declare me to be good and righteous and holy. Jesus ministered to a Samaritan woman at a well who was living in adultery. The disciples kind of frowned on it a little bit. He cast a demon out of a Syrophoenician woman's daughter. Not part of the covenant people. He called out to a tax collector to come out of a sycamore tree and dine with him that evening at the tax collector's house of all places. Totally unacceptable. He would touch and speak with lepers and would heal them. Matthew 9, 9-13 says, As Jesus passed forth from thence, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And He said unto him, Follow Me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Because guess what, folks? That's all Matthew knew. It's the only people he ever hung out with. Who do you think is going to be hanging out with Matthew? And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what a blessed place, folks, when we realize that we're sinners and we need a Savior. What a great place that was for me to come to. I'll speak for myself. When I finally realized I'm hopelessly lost and there's nothing I can do about it. I need a Savior. Praise God. And Jesus did exactly that. He saved me. Today we're going to focus on three individuals that Jesus ministered unto from different walks of life. Different stations in life. First person we're going to be introduced to is the rich young ruler. I'm sorry, no, 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 we're not. To the children. Jesus ministered to children. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us today. Children hold a special spot, generally, yet, in our society. But in the Jewish culture, that wasn't the case. They were kind of irritating. Unimportant. Greek and Roman culture, infanticide was common and culturally acceptable. King Herod murdered baby boys in Bethlehem seemingly without a second thought. How about today? Abortion, for sure, that's the obvious target, and it's a big one, and it's a necessary one to address. That's not the only one, folks. How about neglecting our children to pursue something more important in our lives? Career advancement, money, entertainment. That's also a problem. 
God created. He loves. He died for every child. Every human being. Every child, including the fatherless, the orphan, the abused, even the unborn. How we view and treat the youngest and most vulnerable members of society is a direct reflection of our attitude toward God. Someone explained it to me differently when I was a new convert. They said it this way. You love Jesus as much as you love the person you love the least. Say that again. You love Jesus as much as you love the person you love the least. I love Jesus. He's done so much for me. Well, again, folks, there's a difference between saying something and living something. Our actions. Our actions demonstrate what we believe. They demonstrate who we are. So Jesus ministered to children when it wasn't popular to do so. Suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He ministered to the rich young ruler. Now this individual was in quite a bit different station of life. He was wealthy. Possibly powerful. Definitely in a place of authority. He was a ruler of some kind. Vastly different demographic than Jesus' disciples were. His disciples were generally, for the most part, common men without much wealth. No earthly power. In our society today, both in and out of the church, unfortunately, people are awed by success. They'll forgive a lot of sins with someone who is successful. They will. What if this man were to become a disciple of Jesus? That's what Jesus asked of him. Sell everything you got, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. How would that have disturbed the dynamic? We see the, uh, the disciples in another place arguing who is going to be the greatest. So that was definitely a consideration on their minds. What's the pecking order here? What's the spiritual order? What's the hierarchy? Throwing this very successful young man into the mix might have upset the cart. They may have been a little intimidated by the man's social standing. Maybe a bit insecure. How do we feel in our own lives when we have to work with someone who is definitely superior in some area that you're struggling with. I had it in my mind. I was a pretty good chess player till last night. 
Jesse gave me a spanking and sent me back home. Amen. I'm still, I'm still bruised. I'm still limping. I'm hurting, Jesse. <laughs> oh, I, I won't. I won't. I was looking at programs last night. <laughs> Trying. <laughs> but folks, there are people. There are people that are just better than you at some stuff. It's always going to be that way. That's okay. That's perfectly okay. You're going to be better at other things than some people are. And that's okay. You don't have to be the best at everything to be worth anything. Your gifts and talents don't make you who you are. They don't define you. We are defined by our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's who we identify with. Praise God. That's it. So we can follow the, the, the example of Jesus here. We know, we know it's Jesus, okay? We know He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's not going to be intimidated by a man. Okay, we understand that. But at the same time, what form did Jesus take when He came to the earth? He didn't take the form of a rich young ruler. Although He could have, it would still have been a great big demotion. I mean, the difference between the king and a peasant in the sight of God, there's no difference there. Again, we all stand the same height in the presence of God. Stepping down off of the throne of glory and coming to earth in any form, that's, in my mind, that would have been enough. That would have been enough humiliation. But he went all the way down. He didn't possess property. He possessed the, the garment on his back. Didn't have a place to lay his head. <clears throat> but this man, Jesus, who was in the form of a servant, this itinerant preacher, stood before this rich young ruler with nothing but love. He loved that man. And because he loved that man, there was no intimidation. Because he loved the children, he didn't look down on them as being second-class citizens. He loved them. And because of that love, it caused Jesus to act. It caused him to desire to minister. And minister, he did. He cut right to the quick. One thing thou lackest. And that's what you need to take care of. That's what you need to hit right now. Of course, he didn't. He walked away grieved.
Jesus ministered to blind Bartimaeus. Jesus is walking down the street, big crowds, and he gets interrupted by the cries of this beggar. The crowd tried to shame the beggar into silence, but we read that he cried all the more. Didn't seem like he cared much what people thought of him. Maybe the need was quite a bit more important than this beggar's image at the moment. He cried, he clamored for the attention of Jesus, and he gets it. He gets the attention of Jesus. Now it's possible, I can imagine, that the beggar was probably used to being ignored and treated as if he were invisible. Now I've got to say something about beggars we see today in our society. We see them on the street corner by the stoplight, holding the signs. We've all seen them. We know there have been studies done, there's been research done. We know that at least some of them don't need the money at all. In fact, it can be quite lucrative. Some of them make really good money. More than a lot of you guys do. <clears throat> and because of that, and because of the fact that they have so many uh, government services available to them, and again, I'll speak for me, it's hard for me to stop and try to minister to that need because one, I don't know if they have a need. Two, I don't know what services they've already attained. And I don't know what they're going to use it for. So I have all of these things going through my head. I'll be honest with you. The Spirit in me wants to minister to that individual. Just take him at face value. I do. It breaks my heart to see someone in the cold doing that. So, maybe you struggle with the same thing. I'm trying to work through that. I don't think I have a good answer at this point. I'm conflicted there. So, you guys have a good answer for me. I'm all ears. I am. Um, I want to do the right thing there. I do. But back in the day, there were no government services. Uh, other than wine, I don't think there were any drugs to speak of that they would use. Uh, I'm not aware of any anyway. Uh, the needs were pretty legitimate back then. He was blind, legitimately blind. He couldn't work. And so Jesus comes up and he ministers to the need. Now again, folks, 
when we ask Jesus for things, sometimes the temptation because of our faith, the situation, whatever it might be, is to ask small. Because I know Jesus can do that. Ask for small things because I can believe Jesus for that. I don't know what blind Bartimaeus had heard of Jesus by this time. If he worked miracles, if he'd healed other people of their infirmities. I don't know what Bartimaeus understood about Jesus. But he was asking him for help. Jesus loved him. He loved blind Bartimaeus. This dirty, filthy beggar, the off-scouring of society, was someone who was created in the image and likeness of God. This filthy beggar has an eternal soul that Jesus is very interested in. Jesus created Bartimaeus with purpose, with love. He created him on purpose. It's tempting to see just a beggar. But it's a human being. A human being with a past. Bartimaeus had parents. He grew up in a family or some somewhere. He grew up somewhere. Bartimaeus has a future. Jesus was about to go to the cross for blind Bartimaeus. He was going to hang on a cross for this filthy beggar. No matter what station of life or no matter what walk of life someone may be in or we find ourselves in, everyone is a human being created in the image and likeness of God. I don't care what words are coming out of their mouth. I don't care what their clothes or their body smells like or their breath. I don't care where they're sleeping or where they're living. They're a human being created in the image and likeness of God. They belong in God's kingdom. They were created to be in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Period. And God loves them exactly where they're at. We understand He doesn't want them to stay there. We, we understand that. By the grace of God, if they choose Jesus, He'll start moving them forward in His plan. And they'll start becoming Christ-like too. But again, we don't have to get cleaned up or good enough to ask God to forgive us. He takes care of that. And because everyone is a human being, you know, there are, there are some things that are culturally specific. I understand that. Some understanding some cultures have, others don't, and vice versa. And missionaries, I know, have to work within those 
norms. But no matter what culture you're a part of, you're a human being. I'm not a white guy from Germany. I'm a human being. Because I'm a human being and because you're a human being, wherever it is you're from. You can be from Alaska, you can be from Cambodia, you can be from, from the Bronx. They're all human beings. And we all have the same basic needs. The same basic desires. No matter where you're from. God can use any one of us to minister to any one of those needs. Because you're a human being too. You have the same needs as this guy does. God can use you to minister to those needs. Because you can relate as a human being. We all need food, water, shelter, clothing, basics. We all have those needs. So if someone's lacking those, it doesn't matter if you're a Russian, American, Czechoslovakian, Australian, African. It doesn't matter. You need those things. And if you don't have them, there's a need I can minister to. Who doesn't want friends or relationships? Who doesn't want to feel loved? I don't care how introverted you are. You want relationships. You want friendships. You want to feel loved. You want to feel like you belong. You're a part of something. That's a basic human need. You want to feel safe. You want peace. A sense of purpose. Everybody desires that. And we know that we all need salvation. That is a universal human need. Everybody needs to be saved. We all stand in the exact same place. We all stand exactly as high in the presence of God. And God can use any one of us to minister to these needs. But we've got to be sensitive to the voice of God and His direction in our lives. We've got to. When God leads us somewhere, when God directs us to a specific individual, to talk to them, We have it in our minds that I need to get a Bible study and or pray them through to the Holy Ghost right here. And that's that would be fantastic. Don't get me wrong there. That would be amazing. But maybe you could just start by being a friend. Maybe you could just start by listening. Folks, people need that. They need salvation, absolutely. But getting them to the place where they realize that and start pursuing that, making a choice for Jesus Christ, maybe that's the first step.
is being a friend. Getting them to trust you. Them giving you opportunities to demonstrate your love toward them. When we pray for opportunities, God will provide them. But those opportunities may show up in the form of work. And that's okay. I don't think anyone in this room is is a stranger to work. We've all worked. We know what that is. We understand that good things don't come easy. The best things in life are very difficult sometimes to obtain. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Don't be afraid. Let Jesus use you. Jesus' ministry demonstrated love and service to others. And He didn't just say it. He showed it. He spent time with people. He went out of His way. And He didn't just love those He knew personally. He didn't just love the twelve or the seventy. He didn't just love those that loved Him back. He loved everyone. He forgave people when He was hanging on the cross that were jeering and mocking because He loved them. Matthew 9.35 says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He wasn't building His ministry brand. He wasn't passing out cards. Can I evangelize at your church? Probably nothing wrong with that, but that's not what he was doing. He wasn't hoping for a financial payout at the end. Matthew 9.36 gives us some insight. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. It was love that motivated him. It was compassion that caused him to do everything he did. That was it. Jesus loves human beings. He loves people. Jesus showed that even though we love people with the love of God, I'm sad to say the story doesn't always end up like we want it to. Sometimes people reject that love. The rich young ruler walked away. He was crucified by those who didn't want to hear the truth Jesus was proclaiming. How many times did it say they sought to stone Him, but He slipped out? But He preached the truth anyway. Why? Because it was good for Him? Did it benefit Him in any way? Absolutely not. Because He loved them. They needed the truth. That was the need he was ministering to. He preached the truth anyway. Jesus ministered to everyone's needs and forsook his own, all the while knowing full well where he was going and where he would end up. I saw a poster one time. It was uh, a guy and a girl were talking to each other. The guy had 
all these knives and swords stuck in his back. And the girl had a little pin stuck in her. And she's like, oh, it hurts so bad. And the guy's like, oh, I know. Let me help you. The idea was that her need was relatively small while he was going through all kinds of stuff. But he was concerned about her need. And that's exactly where Jesus was the entire time he was here. He knew where he was headed. He knew why he was here. He was going to end up on a cross. If anyone needed a shoulder to cry on, if anyone needed to talk some things out, it was probably Jesus. Can you imagine living your whole life knowing that at this point in time, I'm going to die on a cross? Can you imagine living life like that? Not only did he live like that, and he never complained about it, never boohooed about it, I think he had every right to. Not only did he not do that, but he set all of that aside to minister to someone else's needs. That's all he did. That's everything he did on this earth is minister to people's needs, no matter how small they were. And let's be honest, folks. How big a need do we have compared to Jesus? It's not that big, is it? Jesus sitting on the throne of glory looking down at my needs, it can't look that big. It just can't. But it's big to me. That's what matters to Him. It's big to me. I'm concerned about it. Therefore, He's concerned about it. What an awesome God, folks. What a wonderful Savior we serve. And so as we are striving to become Christ-like in our lives, I love the power and I love the authority and I love signs and wonders and miracles. And I'm not going to stop preaching those things. I want to see them. I think we need to see them. But we also need to see fruit of the Spirit. We also need to see a daily demonstration of the character of Jesus Christ coming through us, through our lives. Selfless love when we're ministering to the needs of others. Their needs may be small compared to what you're going through. But it's big to them. It's big to them. And as ministers of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility, it's our pleasure and our privilege to be able to be used of God in that area to minister to someone's needs. I understand through Scripture that while I'm ministering to their needs, Jesus is going to be active ministering to my needs. Amen. This individual may not have got that concept yet. They need someone to come in and minister to that. And that's fine. I was there for a while. But God has given me an understanding that when I take care of someone else, when I esteem other better than myself, when I put your cares above my own, He takes care of mine. I don't have to worry about that stuff. And it's great when Jesus takes care of it. Praise God. Are we in a place today where God can use us to minister to others? Sometimes, 
when we're going through life, we get into situations. We get we get frustrated. We get confuzzled. We get confused and turned around maybe a little bit. We get blindsided by something. And it dazes us. But that ought not be the norm, folks. That should be the exception. It does happen. But if we're living in that situation, if I got problems all day long and I I just I I can't take care of I can't help you right now. I'm I'm dealing with this thing. Dude, you've been dealing with that for three years. <laughs> Maybe there's something I can do to help you. <laughs> get through this. Folks, if we're always so overwhelmed by life that I I can't help someone else through their problems, I need to rethink how I'm living life. Maybe something needs to go. Maybe something else needs to come in. But as a child of God, folks, I need to be living victoriously. I have promised in the Word of God victory in my life. Now, I'm not always going to feel victory. I understand that. But I'm having victory every day of my life. If I'm not feeling it, you better believe I'm claiming it. I'm going to say it until I see it. Praise God. And so can you. We ought to be living victoriously in our lives. Now, again, we get the occasional blind side. I understand that. And we need help working through those things sometimes. But that's the exception. I can't be living life like that. I let Jesus work that out in my life and I'm back on victory. Reframing the problem. This is a powerful concept I learned. I think it's probably scriptural. I don't have scripture in verse for it. But... Just reframing the problem. And what I mean by that is this. Scenario one. Hey, you want to you wanna help me with this? Uh, I can't. I can't help you with that. Versus, hey, you want to help me with that? Sure, how can I help? How can I help? There is a real physiological change between the two scenarios. When I say I can't, my brain starts coming up with reasons why. This is why I can't. And I start justifying it. And it's very good at that. It'll just pop them right out. Or, I can let that work for me. How can I help? Now, what my brain is doing is coming up with ideas. How can I help? How can I make this happen? It's, it's, it's not hard to make that shift, but it's very powerful. And as a child of God, I hate hearing I can't. I hate hearing that because it's a lie. It's a lie. You can. When someone says I can't, What they really probably mean is, I won't. I don't want to. I don't want to commit. 
I want to do something else instead. I'd rather you just told me that. I could help you with that, but I'm not going to. Okay. Well, thank you for your honesty. We can do all kinds of things. When God asks us to do something, you can absolutely do that. Don't ever tell God, I can't, when He asks you to do something. That's ludicrous. That's insanity. Just think about that for a minute. Do you think God is going to ask you to do something that He's not going to give you the ability to do? Do you really believe that? If God is asking you to do something, He's going to qualify you. He's going to give you every tool you need to make sure that that happens. Pray for opportunities. The, uh, the Scripture verse, ask, seek, knock, that applies to more than just getting our prayers answered. Those also apply to ministry opportunities. Seek God for a ministry opportunity. Ask Him for one. Ask Him for an open door somewhere. I promise you, it's the will of God. He'll answer that prayer. He will. If you're looking for areas to serve God, He will absolutely provide that. Amen. Oh my. Okay. Um, We're done. Let's all stand.